Hi, I'm Monica Valenzali. I'm a narrative designer and author who is here on a guest star podcast to play Million Dollar Soulmates. And I'm Greg Stolze, the author of said game, and uh, just delighted to have Monica here with me. Awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. It's really a lot of fun to play games, and I don't get to do it as often as I'd like. <laughs> the dirty secret of game design is that there's a lot less playing involved than you think. So, okay, let's jump right into it. We have had technical difficulties for the first 40 minutes of attempting to get this going, so... I'm sure that Monica, like me, is chomping at the bit to get into the game itself. Absolutely. All right. The narrative premise is that one of us is a millionaire who has spent a million dollars to have a computer algorithm find their soulmate. And it worked. The computer has identified a person who will cause the millionaire's personality to grow and flourish and who will amplify what the millionaire at their deepest core truly is. But the trick is nobody knows whether this is a positive amplification or a negative, whether the soulmate is going to puff up the millionaire's compassion and generosity and decency or whether the algorithm has found their perfect enabler who will just make them more cruel, controlling, and sybaritic. You and I will not know the answer until the last scene, which is called the scene at the boathouse, where we will roll dice to see if the relationship is and always was good, or if it is and always was dysfunctional and perverse. So our job is to describe the arc of this relationship in the most ambiguous way possible. We're going to describe the characters and three dates. And at the end of every date, you need to be able to say, okay, so here's how this could be making the millionaire a better person, or here's how it could be making them a much worse person. And sometimes it seems unambiguous, but then you just say, oh, well, maybe this is the catharsis required for growth. So sound fun so far? Yep. Okay. The first stage of the game is called the meet cute. And the first stage of the first stage is that we sort of set the tone and do the safety piece and see if there's anything we don't particularly want to touch on. Like I might say, hey, let's not allude to coronavirus in this game because I think we could all use a little break. Let's have that be offstaged. <laughs> yeah. How about you? You got anything or are you just going to be like, no, let's just raw dog this? Um, I would say that I would prefer a game where we don't bring up current politics, not like right. interpersonal politics, but like, like the red and blue government shit, yeah. politics. That seems extremely reasonable. It is the least romantic thing that I can think of. And I once worked in a meat processing plant. <laughs> I will also throw in, let's set it up that the soulmate is single and has at least made some kind of online, you know, is on Tinder or has put their Facebook relationship status as single. This game could be set up to go to a super dark place where it's like, oh, well, 
the biggest barrier between the millionaire and the soulmate is the soulmate's spouse and kids. This game can, if you set the tone correctly, it can get super dark. I've seen it played as Korean revenge drama, which was actually had this super tragic ending where they determined that they were bad for each other, but they stayed together because what they enabled was that each of them gradually deadened the other's emotions. And initially it was this really exciting relationship, but but by the end they were married for years and by the end barely speaking to each other. Aww. Yeah. So this can turn out, it can be, you know, dramatic or it can be a romantic comedy. I've seen it turn out that way too. All right. So I think we've got our, our boundaries established. I mean, I think we're probably pretty much on the same page. We know each other and trust one another and have the idea that this will be a moderately lighthearted game. I mean, it might poke at some sore spots, but it's not going to press on them. That's a, <laughs> yes, that no pressing would be a, <laughs> would be a <laughs> I was thinking about lighthearted is definitely kind of my jam. So <laughs> I was going to mention if you, you know, puns are always a good thing. <laughs> oh, good God. A little bit of humorous poetry. Like I just found out that, the bee's knees was not the only phrase people would use to describe people. And it was things like the oyster's trousers or, you know, other sorts of things like that. Like the hen's beak or, uh, yeah. The platypus's culottes. <laughs> <laughs> the giraffe's hammer pants. Right. <laughs> the aardvark's dancing tutu with a worn out knee. No, th- I could do this all day. Good God, someone stop me. And now you see why that's hilarious. Because... <laughs> I do. I do indeed. Oh all right. So we've got the safety piece. And this, I think the tone, part of it develops organically. All right. Do you want to be the lonesome millionaire, the person who is willing to literally spend a million bucks to find somebody? Or do you want to be the object of affection, the perfect person, the possible manic pixie soul girl? Which side? Well, Bob, I will take one million (laughs) dollars. All right. Millionaire Monica. For the price Millionica. Yes, I will definitely take the million dollars. So, Milianica and Solme Tolsi. All right. So, we are going to collaboratively develop these characters by answering six questions for each of them. Awesome. Now, we will answer some questions for each other so that it, it's it's not just you answer the millionaire questions and I answer the soulmate questions because otherwise someone could just throw this together on their own and they wouldn't need a game designer. But the six questions for the millionaire are, one, why did you just get the name and not get a complete dossier of the soulmates' purchasing habits and political opinions and Facebook likes and the whole, oh, I'm going to trawl the net Cambridge Analytica style until I have basically read your diary. So one question is, why didn't you do that? You could have. Question two, what's the best thing you've ever done that didn't involve money? Question three, What is a secret you never told anyone? Question number four, what's your erotic identity? So it's like, you know, straight, queer, uh, man, woman, what are we dealing with here? Question five for the millionaire is, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? And question six is, what's the big trouble you escaped 
through money and privilege. Okay? These are on page seven in the PDF. You've got the PDF, right? I do. Uh All right. So the six questions for the soulmate are, one, what about you will astonish the millionaire? So this could be just about anything. Uh, If you have a positive answer, then it tends to make the game a little more positive. If it's that, oh, yeah, I I killed six people. Everyone knew I did it, but I got out on a technicality that takes the game in a darker direction. Question two, what do you know for absolute certain about love and romance? Don't skimp on the details. Number three is what's your place in society? So this could be anything from, uh, you know, I'm Catholic and that's that's how I define myself. Or it could be I'm a lawyer or uh, I'm a single mom with three kids and two jobs. Number four, erotic identity again. So when we start with the dates, we will roll to randomly determine which factors are in play on a given date. So when you get four and four, that's always that's always a fun one. Question five, what circumstances bring out the worst in you and what is the worst in you? And question six, who is your enemy and why? You got them? Yep. Okay. So as the millionaire, you have considerable power in the relationship. So the soulmate gets certain advantages to offset that, one of which is I go first. Okay. And I get to answer any question on either sheet. So what I'm going to go for is soulmate three. What is your place in society? And uh, the soulmate is a police detective. D. I know how to spell detective. I'm a writer for a living. On the Vice Squad. Bada bing. So there, that's my question. The first fact we know about the soulmate. Okay. Now it's your turn to answer a question about the millionaire. So pick a question. Give me the answer. What is a secret you never told anyone? Um, hum. Which is number three. Mm-hmm. And the secret that I have never told anyone is that I was once an 80s rock star. You were once an 80s rock star? Not going to tell you what band. I'm not going to tell you how many albums. You'll just have to use your imagination. Okay. So let's see. I answer a question about the soulmate. What circumstances bring out the worst in this police detective? And that seems pretty simple. It's when someone is not just doing crime out of desperation or to get by, but is genuinely the worst of the worst, the really depraved, absolute sociopaths. And the worst that this brings out is that the detective gets depressed and runs out of energy. All right. Uh, give me another millionaire question. Right. For what is my erotic identity? I'm going to go with Elvira. Elvira. Okay. I have this whole theme planned with big hair and Aquanet hairspray and really bright fluorescent earrings by day, but like pleather at night. And yeah, we're going to rock it. It'd be fun. <laughs> um, 
I will go with what does the detective know for certain about love, which is that when it's good, it can get through anything. And when it's bad, it is capable of anything. A really good quote. Thank you. Do you know Rabbit Stoddard? I don't think I do. She did some stuff for Rain and for the new uh, version of Over the Edge. Cool. And when I played this with her, she was the first... Yeah, she didn't get paid to play this, but uh, her answer for that was really good. I think I've referenced it on like two or three of these podcasts now. So yeah, you can go look that up. It's online. Very cool. She and I deliberately did the romantic comedy setup and it worked out really mm. well. Okay. So we have each answered two questions for our own character. Now we're going to take turns answering two questions about the other character. <laughs> okay, great. So answer two questions about Elvira's soulmate. What is Elvira her actual no. name? No. Okay. Be a little too yeah, on the I, nose. I definitely think so, but she needs sort of like her name needs to be completely vanilla, but like her 80s stage name has to be something like incredibly ridiculous. So like Elaine? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, pick a question. All right. So pick a question that you have to answer. No, that you answer, oh, about, that the answer about the soulmate. I answer about the soulmate. Okay. Not 100% sure. Oh, you're. Ch- I'm not 100% you're sure. You're <laughs> this direction or not. Well, you know what? Screw it. What's your ironic identity? Batman. Uh, metaphorically, sure. <laughs> brooding wounded antihero. Yeah. Everybody. Who doesn't love a brooding wounded antihero? All right. I'm going to say the big trouble that she escaped with her money and privilege. Now, when, when answering, when I'm answering questions for you and you're answering questions for my character, we have a little bit of veto control. So if I'm like the big trouble you escaped was cannibalism, you can say, no, I don't want to do cannibalism. I don't want to be a cannibal. What's wrong with you? Who hurt you, Stolzy? So the big trouble you escaped was the absolute collapse of your band Amidst not only a gigantic artistic failure, but your manager screwed everyone. No chance or hope of a reunion tour. Yeah, a real one-two punch of you put out a terrible, terrible album. And then because the money crashed, it became apparent that, you know, the manager had been kiting checks and stealing all along. All right, so let's see. You answer one more question about the soulmate. So it's either one or six. Who is the soulmate's enemy? Or what about the soulmate will astonish the... Oh, and he's Detective Wayne Bryson. Let's go for that. It's not quite Bruce Wayne. (laughs) Not quite. Not quite Bruce Wayne. Elaine Walsley. Elaine Walsley? Yes. All right. So it's either who is... Wayne Bryson's enemy, or what about Wayne will astonish Elaine? I think I'm going to have to go with enemy, but I need to think about that for a second. So you're on the Vice Squad. Are you, when you say police detective on the Vice Squad, like, are you thinking 
you're not a dust jockey, right? Like you're somebody that goes out there and... I'm thinking that Wayne was on the streets for a while and it really did a number on him. And now he's doing a lot more community outreach and, you know, is sort of in the position of, look... One thing we we need a full court press against this problem, but one thing we can do is try and keep young people from becoming prostitutes in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that means giving them options and explaining, oh, yeah, you know, that pimp you met at the bus station who was really charming and friendly to you that can change and will. But back in the day, presumably was on the street. Let's go with, and you said you do a lot of like community outreach and volunteer work. He does now. now. It could be, oh, there was this one human trafficker that in the course of arrest got his jaw broke and still can't eat exactly right. Or it could be, oh, yeah, usually Johns don't get busted, but he recognized that this was a city councilman and so made an exception. All right, so your enemy is... Elaine's dad. Oh, much worse. No, that's a terrible idea. Much worse. (laughs) Your enemy is my sister, who is the governor, who... But there's a very specific reason why you don't like her. It's because she put in a really terrible law that was kind of like... It was written by people who don't know the situation on the streets but they mean well and the reason why she's your enemy is because every single time you would try to do something you would find out that you know maybe somebody in the police force was just a little dirty they were taking like drugs or whatever from the stash and either using it for themselves or reselling it and the governor basically put in this law that said that the cops can't do any wrong gonna get political but I totally didn't mean it to me (laughs) to be that way either it was just so personal is political yes personal is very political but um basically she by doing that you feel the overall integrity of the position has been damaged because you do believe in the badge and the good that it can do and it's actually making your job a thousand times harder (laughs) okay like you're you're one of the good cops all right so let's see where are we here millionaire player answer another question about the soulmate so it's the last one so yeah you gotta say what about wayne will astonish elaine oh my god you've got all the cure albums on vinyl no (laughs) devo what will astonish the millionaire is your terrible taste in music (laughs) how is it terrible well You've never looked past Billboard's top 40 hit. So anything that even smacks of indie music or anything like that, you won't listen to. And you really, really, really love those cover bands that do all the different cover songs and stuff like that. And you don't care how out of tune they are because you can't you can't hear that. You can't carry a tune. So you can't tell if they're sharp or flat or whatever. It's like you... You have this collection of just cover bands because there's just certain songs you just love the lyrics so much you don't care how it's played. <laughs> that will astonish me in both real life and in the game. Okay. And I think we missed a... We may have missed me answering a question for The Millionaire because we've got the, the soulmate all set up and I think I've got... I think I missed one. I think it's either cheap code or the best thing you've ever done that didn't involve money. 
we're missing the cheat code, the best thing with no money, and the worst thing ever. Right. Okay. So I'm going to go with the easy cheat code, which is just that has a sense of personal honor. It would be creepy. Mm. Okay. So I answer one more question about you, and then you get the last one. So I get to pick between the best thing you ever did with no money or the worst thing that ever happened to you. Oh, boy. I will go for the best thing with no money. And uh, I'm going to say that although there was part of your career that was very financially influenced by, you know, by your wealth, that it, it did get you out of a bunch of stuff. Uh, and get you into some stuff. But there was one time when a sick fan, you know, a, a young girl with leukemia who was a huge fan of the band, and you just went and hung out with her and did like a private acoustic show in her hospital room and made a real difference. And, you know, you're aware that she's still alive today and she will still now and again mention that. Did I ever tell you about the time that whatever your band was named came and played for me when I was at my lowest point? So that's the best thing you ever did that didn't involve money. Like it. All right. So this leaves you with the worst thing that ever happened to Elaine. The worst thing that ever happened to Elaine. Which doesn't have to be that bad. That's, it's interesting if what happened, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to her is uh, a pet died. When my sister, the governor, decided to get married to one of my former fiancés. Wow. Okay. So what's the sister's name? Susan. Susan. And her husband, Grover. (laughs) I was thinking something like, something real golf club-y, like... Roger. I like the I like Grover. I like Grover. But All right. we'll go with I, Grover. I withdraw. Okay. We may never meet Susan and Grover. Okay. So now we have this pair of characters. We have Detective Wayne Bryson, who I picture as sort of a not quite as immense as Brian Dennehy, Brian Dennehy. The crucial question that's arising from this is does he have the full bushy mustache or not? Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. I don't know. I don't really see him as a mustache. You know what? Make it a twirly mustache. Oh, like a pencil thin? Not a, not a pencil thin one, but like one of the ones where, you know, like he's trying to grow it into a goatee, but he doesn't, he's not quite getting there. So he waxes it up and it looks uh. like, basically it, it looks like it's twirling or curling on his face. Okay. With a failed mustache. A failed mustache. Yes. Batman with a failed mustache. There's the title of the episode. (laughs) Okay. So what happens first is you have to come up with the situation that Elaine. So Elaine gets this dossier and is like, really? A cop? Well, I guess he's a decorated veteran of the force. How does she choose to introduce herself to Wayne Bryson? And, you know, what what situation does she engineer that works? Is this digital or in person? Either one. Either one. 
Well, it's Elaine. So Elaine is thinking that sees the name and she sees detective and storied member of the force and she automatically assumes that he doesn't have any money so because being a public servant is a thankless job okay and doesn't understand why anybody would want that job so she invites him out to an irish tavern because she remembers seeing that cops like to go for beers after work and remembers watching it on some TV show. Wait, wait, wait. So she just emails him out of the blue? He doesn't know that she that that he got the name. Oh no, oh, yeah. Right. This is okay. Well This is completely case, behind his back. In that case, I am going to completely change tactics and just say that she is going to arrange to be in the same bar that he likes to go to afterward. Ah, uh, okay, which she can find out following him on on Facebook, and he's like, oh boy, Fred Zeppelin is playing uh, Jerry's Tap. Right. So this is, they're, they're, they're not my favorite of the Led Zeppelin cover bands, but they're pretty good. I Did someone distribute a virus to the AI? I guess we're just going to have to see. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, so you show up and what? Just sit next to him at the bar, flirt a little bit. Uh, insincerely complimented his mustache how do you work this approach it depends upon what time of day it is and when the band is going to go on because that's going to oh uh it's like six o'clock he's ordered a big plate of bar food he's sitting there there's some guy sort of talking to him but the whole body language is the guy is facing him full on but Wayne is only turned to the side and is more interested in his burger and fries than what this guy is saying. Mm, Okay. Well, let me see if I can remember this flirting thing. So I walk up to him at the bar, but before I can get a chance to say anything, I trip on the bar stool and dump my purse out and everything just starts going sprawling everywhere right in front of me. Okay. What's in the purse? I have some lip gloss, bar keys, phone i have a business card uh it's it's basically like um what it is it's a clear piece of plastic that looks invisible but it kind of is shimmers in the light it's basically an access card for the ai that i that i contracted to program him i have you know (laughs) the latest tech i mean okay and how is she dressed i'm picturing him in a schlubby suit and those comfortable cop shoes. Well, it's been a while since she's worn jeans. So she's wearing a brand new pair of jeans and she didn't know how to wear them. So she asked the dry cleaner to make sure they were clean and they came out kind of starchy. So the jeans are a little stiff and she's wearing like a short sleeve pastel sweater. Okay. And the guy with him leaps up to help you with this and is kind of unctuous and ingratiating until Wayne grudgingly starts helping put stuff back in and says, Marks, whatever was in here better all still be in there. Do you understand me? And Mark says, hey, look, stuff fell out of the purse. If it flew away and I didn't see it, that he's like, Marks. Do you understand me? He's like, yeah, sheesh, man, 
Bryson, you know what your problem is? And Bryson says, my problem right now is you, Marks. And Marks kind of scuttles off into the darkness like a cockroach. I'm sorry about him. Uh, is this... And he, like, bends down and has to squat and, like, search around in the grime at the base of the bar to come up with some of your stuff. And he's like, I don't know if you're going to want to use this lipstick anymore. Mm. Well, that wasn't my favorite in the collection, but okay. I'll just find a different memento. I mean, I think I need a drink. Ah, sure. They do a nice draft beer here, and he, like, leans in. He's like, yeah, go easy on the well stuff. You know, most well liquors aren't 100% pure, but here they've got some supplier that, I don't know, he's mobbed up or something. There's there's no quality control is what I'm trying to say. Ooh, the mafia. I haven't heard of that since I think I saw The Godfather. Uh, well, it's not... It's complicated. It's not the mafia anymore, like old style it's, yeah it's all a big thing i i'm sorry uh hey i'm bryson why don't i buy you it you want a beer let me get you a beer sure, i'd love a beer and he like offers her some of his fries with ranch dressing are those vegan <laughs> not even close she leans into her phone and says hey alex reminds me to schedule that we spa all right and at that point fred zeppelin comes on which is not just a led zeppelin cover band it's a one man <laughs> led <Awesome>. zeppelin cover <laughs> band that's awesome so you know has an array of percussion around and one of those double oh guitars okay. and yeah and bryson's like oh man i hope he doesn't always do all of my love but when he does oh man i just cry it's my soft spot are you a fred head let's say that i am no Oh, yeah, you wouldn't have to think about it if you were. There's this one woman who shows up at his shows and, like, throws her underwear at him. But it's not like, it's not like what you hope to have happen when you try to be a rock star. She's a little unhinged. I think he's got a uh, got a restraining order out on her. It's actually pretty mm. sad. We've seen her at the shop a couple times. Uh, people call in complaints about noise or public nuisance. But uh, you feel you feel bad for her, you know? She's not like a real crook. There's fake crooks. Oh yeah. Oh, I've met I've met all kinds of rich guys who want you to think that they made their money running coke up from Central America when in fact it's like hedge fund stuff. I had that happen. Well, it didn't happen to me. It happened to a but I I work for the police. Uh, but it happened to a buddy of mine uh, over in Major Crimes. This this poor rich douche got thrown across the hood of a car, face ground up against the glass due to mistaken identity. Yeah, he sued us. Mm. It was pretty you bad. What was his name? Uh, it was Lloyd something. Lloyd. But he told everybody he was named Carlos. <laughs> so okay, all right. So that's the the initial hook. They meet. What does she tell him that she does, or does she just sort of leave it unaddressed? He, um, right now, Elaine is trying to figure out how long she can stay in this bar before dousing herself in hand sanitizer. Um, so she's being intentionally agey 
now that she's gotten the initial like feeling for who he is and is trying to figure out how to bring up the AI. So she's going to lay that out well, there right at the think- start. She's thinking about it. Or she's thinking about maybe proposing that they leave because, but she needs to get him hooked into the conversation because clearly he's into this band. He would rather claw her eyes out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know, you could just flatly say, look, uh, I've got to go, but this was really charming. Do you want to meet for coffee or something? straightforward could work or she could try to intrigue him by being more mysterious. I don't mysterious. think intriguing him is going to work after she was kind of klutzy. Ah, well, you know, this phase of the game, it does work. That is such the romantic comedy it trope. It is the romantic comedy. It's like the romantic comedy trope. Oh, I'm so sorry I fell on my face. Okay, so she is going to the music is getting louder and louder and louder and he's getting really into the bands. Well, you know, they're not his favorite Led Zeppelin right. cover band. But it's it's but. still up there. But she's kind of curious about what other music she has because now she wants to know if he would know who she is. Like is, <laughs> is there like some sort of 80s sort of thing? So she tells him, "You know, I'm having trouble hearing you. Do you want to go somewhere and get a you know, get decent food, get a larger food. I think there's an Ed Bevix nearby. He's like, oh, I'm pretty full up. But, you know, if you want to go get something else, you said vegan. Do they have vegan at Ed Bevix? But I'll, sure, I'll go with you. I'll accompany. I'll escort you. Okay. Um. So the reason why she chose Ed Bevix is because that is the only restaurant in the entire area that she knows has some more fans, like the five fans or whatever that remember her, that keep holding that torch for her on Facebook and Twitter and all these other sorts of places. Um, and they're all like in their 50s and 60s. They're all way older. <laughs> it's the only, only restaurant in the entire area that has a jukebox that actually has her music on it. So that's the reason why she chose that place. Because that's the only place that has her music. Okay. Well, we have not actually gotten into the first date. Mm. So do you want to do you want to make this the first date? Or do you want to let's, uh let's not. Yeah. Let's do one more scene here because okay. she's because her plan is all right, I made a total ass out of myself and he seems okay. And now I'm kind of curious about him. So she's gonna play her songs and see if he recognizes over uh, wh- were they top 40 uh they were maybe top in the top 100 like you know 76 84 like somewhere around in that oh he he like he's like wait what is this band is that susie sue and the banshees is that is that kiss them for me no it's not kiss them for ah sounds familiar it though. does like a lot of 80s music well i was uh you know i pretty much feel that rock music reached its apex in the late 1970s oh oh you mean before the synthesizer came out yeah 100 percent. the synthesizer and don't get me started on rap music i mean i understand that people like it and it's okay if you do but eh, to me it's just noise you don't like a synthesizer at all uh you know, Loverboy had some songs with a little synth and, and uh, oh, Night Ranger. 
uh, you know, they they did it okay because they didn't let it get uh, out in front. You out know. In. Oh dear. Okay. Um, what you you're looking at me like I said I drowned kittens. Well, what? I, it's just that you know I I play synthesizer. It's my favorite oh. instrument, actually. So it's oh. I find oh. your take on that kind of fascinating. Well. What do I know? Uh, you know, I'm just some asshole. Aww. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to hate on you. I didn't mean to yuck your yum. Um, sorry. That's about all right. That. It happens. Well, I mean, I wanted to know a little bit more about you, and now I do. Yeah. Why? I'm not that interested. You're not. You said you were a detective, right? I bet you had a lot of really interesting cases. Um, more depressing than interesting i don't know um here's the thing i work in vice and and it's an important job it's a job where there are people getting hurt every day and i can stop some of them from getting hurt but you see people at their worst at their just absolute bottom worst and so I have to have this mental box. This is something that my my first sergeant told me when I moved into Vice is that when you're at work, you got to deal with all this bad stuff. But then when you're off the clock, you put the stuff in the box and you close the box and you leave the box at the office. And then the next day you can come in and you can open the box back up again. But yeah, I gotta have a space with no box in it or I go nuts. Well, it sounds like it's a good thing I'm not a cop then. It's not for everybody. But I mean, what would society be like if everyone was a cop? Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, that would be kind of weird. What's the phrase? A nation of snitches? I, yeah. Anyway, anyway, enough about me. So what do you do other than other than play keyboards, which I assume is not your job because... That's a really nice purse, and I I don't think that keyboard playing uh, buys purses of that caliber. What is that, Coach? No, it's Versace. I'm a fashion designer. Wow. Okay, so you probably also see some pretty bad behavior, too, huh? It depends. I mean, you know, the most we get is a little bit of cattiness, a little bit of, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, see, I knew a guy in uh, narcotics who got an end to that. You remember like five or six years ago when those models got swept up and it was a big mm. scandal? That that was my gal Doris. And, uh, you know, she like got in in there and got their trust. And boy, she said that the people they got... It was just the tip of the iceberg that everybody was just doing fat rails of cocaine and there was all kinds of just exploitative stuff happening. And maybe she she had the jaundiced eye, you know? When you're a cop, everyone looks like a skull. What's a skull? I don't know what that is. Oh, wow. That's charming. Uh, you know, like uh, like Marx back there at the bar classic scale. Oh boy. A criminal, a low-end scumbag. Yeah, that that would be kind of hard to go through life thinking that everybody is the potential to be a criminal or is a criminal. Well, everybody does have the potential to be a criminal, don't they? 
just like every criminal has the potential to uh, to do decent stuff, which I've seen. There was this guy, right? This was back before I was in Vice. This was when I was in, just a, a uniformed officer. And this guy was a bad guy. He had done murder for hire without blinking, right? So a, a real tough customer, blood on his hands. But one time he pulled a dude out of a fire and he had to run into the fire to get the dude and pull him out. And it was not like one of his, wasn't his brother or a guy in his gang. It was just a stranger. So yeah, you know, the same. And maybe I got a, (laughs) this was Doris again, my, uh, my friend in narcotics who she has the psych degree and her theory is that the same things that make him a good murderer for hire contributed to him being heroic in this situation you know he's impulsive he doesn't second guess himself he's extremely confident he lowballs his estimation of risk to him uh to himself and has tremendous uh personal physical courage wow it was nuts he's in jail now though what did he do tuned up a guy with a crowbar oh boy what can i say he got sloppy you get away with stuff long enough, you get sloppy. It always happens. So, okay, is that that's that's the enticement, uh, and presumably they exchange phone numbers. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we leave the first phase and enter several dates. Oh boy. <laughs> okay, so you roll your d6 and I roll my d6 with more cover vans. It doesn't have to be. All right, I'm rolling my d6. I got a five. Okay. I got a six. Oh, and write down what you got. Because later on, these numbers will be important. So you got a five, I got a six. So this, oh my God, it's perfect. It involves your question number five and my question number six. Okay. So your question number five, sister got married to your former fiance. And my number six, who is my enemy? Elaine's sister. Mm Mm-hmm. So our first date somehow revolves around your sister and her husband. So there is a a problem that arises on the date. And one of these is the problem and one of these is the solution. So which is the problem and which is the solution? Okay, so they're so similar. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be that I run into Susan and Grover. uh, Wayne lets her have it and... Elaine is like, oh, I feel better having seen Grover turn into this, uh, you know, Grover just didn't even try and defend her. They're having trouble. Maybe I dodged a bullet there. Maybe Grover is old stale oats. So that could be one way it goes. Or it could be that the problem is Wayne is, is fulminating about Susan and you're like, that's my sister. And... When he actually meets her, he finds out, okay, she's not so bad. You know, she means well. I think I have something. Lay it on me. All right. So Elaine feels that last time she met Wayne on his kind of territory and surf. So she Uh decides to invite him on a double date because she doesn't know that he is, that he knows her sister or considers her an enemy or anything. and it's a it's a cocktail party for her sister. She's going to announce some new initiative or some yes like that. But uh-huh. 
The alcohol is free. <laughs> the alcohol is free. The hors d'oeuvres are very good, and it has much better music than what they've been listening to. All right. So she's keeping her criteria pretty small. So it's it's a fancy cocktail party. I'm also going to suggest, for humor's sake, that at some point uh, she's off in the powder room or what have you, or he gets there early because he misunderstood the time, and he winds up spending time with Grover, and the two of them just get along great. <laughs> yeah. Because they like the same... The same... Sh- so, you show up and you're like, what are you doing? Oh, you got here early? You're supposed to show up fashionably late. And he's just, oh, well, I thought it was 6.30. And you're like, no, it was 7.30. You were supposed to get here at 7.45. He's like, well, man, the time really flew. Uh, you know, me and Grover here have been talking about our favorite... I've been rating our favorite 38 special albums. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. I love it. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and yeah, there's just this line of empty <laughs> of empty glasses on the bar between the two of them. So so Grover, one of the reasons why is now my ex fiance is because all of a sudden he discovered Wham and he went through a George Michael phase and decided to frost his hair and wear the earring and all of that, except He's nowhere near the type of person that could carry off that look. So it just makes him look like he is on that 70s show or, you know, he's just he's not a hipster. He's failing at whatever his fandom is very badly. And um, she just had enough. When he started dressing like him with like the big shoulder pads and the acid wash jeans. The very tight acid wash jeans. And oh, and the catalyst she told him her secret because once she told him once she told Grover her secret before they got married he got really curious about all the 80s bands he started investigating them and he thought that by dressing up like other 80s artists and listening to the music and really like getting into the 80s thing it was going to impress her and it just did the exact opposite it was like backfired it just completely backfired but he like suggested so she dumped dumped him. him yeah and and what's worse, Susan has decided to bring back flower bangs. What's flower bang? Flower bangs are you take a big, huge hunk of like hair uh-huh. in the front and you curl part of it down and then you curl the other part of it up and then you use a ridiculous amount of hairspray and then you rat the hair so it looks like a big poof, a big pom-pom flower or bangs. This can't possibly be testing well with the focus groups. Well, the focus groups are feeling a little nostalgia right now. Mm. Mm. Literally in the OK Boomer category. Wow. Yeah. All right. So you waltz in, probably looking, <laughs> probably looking great, right? Yes, I have a contemporary cocktail dress on. And, and Grover sort of... How does Grover react when he sees you? Are you two okay now? Are you still just like constantly bickering and being snippy to each other or what? Um, so Grover reacts by sniffing cocaine. Just right there on the bar? Right there on the bar. And yeah, Wayne's jaw drops. <laughs> and he looks at Elaine. He's like, excuse me, Grover. And he comes over and he's like, who the, what the, is, did you know this was going to happen? Are you trying to get me to arrest your, this, what, I'm, 
I'm kind of lost here. Help me out. Help me out, Elaine. Well, remember when you said that some people who are criminals actually make pretty good people? Listen, this is not a thing I can let slide. I'm going to have to call somebody and, uh, you know, fuck, look at this. We got like five witnesses. Over there, we got someone on the phone. Why would he think this is okay? He's got a problem. How do you know this guy anyway? Married to governor. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? That's that's Susan. Okay, she must have taken Grover's last name. What's Grover's last name? Um, it's got to be something ridiculous like Huntington. Saint something. Saint Huntington, the third. <laughs> oh my God! You mean I am up? Okay, this changes things. And he pulls out the badge. He's like, oh, get your phone out. Uh, He's like, Grover, uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you. If you, in a court of law, you have the right to an attorney. And Grover's just like, but, but, but you seem so cool. Yeah, I thought the same about you. But dude, I can't let this pass. You can't do cocaine in public. What is this? Cocaine? It's powdered sugar. And I just look at her. I look at it. Ask the bartender, like, yeah, don't anybody touch this. You know, gets on the phone. And probably at this point, you know, if the governor was going to be there, there had to be cops in place. Right. So, so while this is happening right now, the bartender who has been, who my sister hired, has cleaned up the cocaine and flushed it down the drain. Okay. And the. <laughs> Wayne just looks at him with Batman eyes of fire and is like, you just made a big mistake, Mr. Fucker man. And before you know it, place is mobbed with cops. <laughs> Grover's doing the perp walk. The press is there. Wayne comes up to you and he's like, I know you didn't mean to give me this gift, but this is this could count as my birthday and Christmas. This is a sweet bus. Thank you so much. <laughs> Is that a good scene? Yes. <laughs> okay. Scene. So how does this, how, uh, you know, how is it positive and how is it negative? And I mean, I, the way it looks to me is that the positive is this is someone who can cut through the unstated hypocrisies of her family and resolve them. And you, But the bad is, oh, this is her lashing out against Grover and her sister. Mm-hmm. Does that work? Mm-hmm. All right, you ready for date two? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he probably calls you up and says, yeah, that was kind of a shit show. I'm really sorry. Let's go do something where there's no chance I'll have to arrest anybody. Uh, do you want to go into date literal number two or several or a few dates down the line where they've gotten to know each other better? Let's do let's do the follow up. The literal follow up. Okay, roll literal and see what's involved. I got 5. I got a 4. Okay. What is going on is that uh it's it's the circumstances that bring out the worst in Wayne. Oh boy. And it's <laughs> it's Elaine's uh alluring sexuality so all right where do you see this going they 
get out of their complete headspace. They tried a bar, they tried a cocktail party, it didn't work. What about a costume party? <laughs> she finds, she knows she likes the music and she can kind of handle it if it's, you know, on loudspeaker because then she doesn't have to pay such close attention to the acoustics. So she decides that they're going to go to a roller derby in costume. Okay. Is everyone there in costume? Yes. All right. He is in a not very good Batman costume. Like from like four movies back. <laughs> He's like, oh, I didn't know they made a Val Kilmer Batman costume. Yeah, I got it. I, I, I got it on sale. Uh, it's pants are a little binding. I I see that. Hey, buy me, buy me dinner first. <laughs> How is she dressed? Let me see here. She's wearing costume. She's not going 80s. Okay. Because a little tired from the 80s. She's decided to go 50s sock hop. Okay. Wow. You look you look adorable. You look great. Uh, I hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. You you have a thing for bobby socks, do you? I didn't know I did, and yet here we are. And he kind of like tugs at his Batman mask like it's suddenly very hot. That's hilarious. So, okay. So they're probably having a pretty good time. And that, that takes care of your question number four. But his phone keeps buzzing and he keeps ignoring it until he finally has to pick it up. And he's like, what? No, no. Well, what do you want me to do about it now? Yeah, nothing. That's right. Thanks a lot for calling me up to tell me this terrible thing happened. There's nothing I can do about it. So yeah, that couldn't have waited till tomorrow. Thanks a ton. He like closes his phone and slumps back in his seat. Oh no, what's going on? Remember when I talked about the box and you have to put the stuff in the box and close the box and leave it at work? Yep. Bottom just out of the box. Oh no, what happened? This guy's gonna get off his witness recanted. It's... It's bad. Um, it's just bad. It's not one of these things where, you know, where a woman goes on the game because she thinks, oh, you know, this will be easier than working in an office and I'm I'm pretty and it'll be fun and guys will like me. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. I've seen women make that work and I've seen others get stuck in it. But this is just way worse. And it's basically slavery, only with drugs to keep people in line. And he's going to walk because the witnesses are recanting and he's all lawyered up. Oh, and there's nothing you can do. Nothing constitutional. And he finishes his drink in one long guzzle and then pulls the Batman mask off. He's like, I'm sorry, this thing is killing me. It's it's really hot. Shit. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um. I don't know. Would you excuse me for just a second? I'm going to use the restroom. Sure, sure. I'll just, I'll watch the derby. So, hearing all of this, she decides to call her sister and to make amends. She tells her about the situation. And the sister's got to be really pissed that her husband's in jail. Well, okay. Well, she... what, what did fall out with that? Well, there was an intervention because. Okay. Susan has been trying to get his, him cleaned up for a while. 
Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, there's no consequences to that, right? Because she's got a lot of money and she's the governor and it was an open secret that he did cocaine. So Wayne was actually the first person who like stepped forward and tried to arrest him. So <laughs> wait a second. This bullshit is bullshit. Exactly. So Susan is pissed, but she's also secretly grateful because now he can go rehab but she doesn't want him to be in jail anymore it's like oh he learned his lesson now i'm just gonna try to figure out a way so susan was in the process of buying a new wing of the police department and elaine calls her and says hey so you know that thing susan's like what thing and you know that you're mad at me for and she's like what for throwing my husband into prison (laughs) <laughs> you're gonna have to narrow that down you're sis. gonna have to narrow that down a little bit sis there's there's a couple of things that i'm mad at you about right now and elaine will say well there's somebody that really deserves to be in prison maybe if i gave you some details you know what it's look it's judge mccreary and i know that he's played golf with her. the monster at the end of the book anyway so <laughs> Yeah, Judge McCreary is, uh, they don't have any evidence. And if you could just make a quick phone call, maybe we can get Grover out of prison and actually do some good. And what do you think the governor can do that the police force can't? He's got money. Money has gotten me out of, Elaine out of you know, big trouble before. There's no reason why Susan's Yeah, money, money is really good for getting people out of trouble. It's not quite so good at getting people into, tr- well... It's also good for getting people into trouble. It's not good for making justice happen. Oh, so you're gonna you're gonna try and fi- get your sister to do some dirty trick on this uh, this sex trafficking monster? Yes, yes, she is. Wow. Okay, and in return, you're offering her what that you can fix her her uh, go- her. Grover problem? Well, the police chief is going to be so grateful that this sex trafficker actually got nailed that Grover will be released on a technicality. Oh, what what I was going to say, what I was going to suggest, she's probably going to say, the only thing that could get Grover off the hook for from a felony charge is if the officer who made the arrest committed some kind of procedural problem or made a misidentification or something of that Ooh, nature. I really like it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. All right. So are you going to take that back to Wayne and say, look, I can get you your guy. Oh, no, I'm not telling him anything. Okay. Okay. All right. So she's like, yeah, you fix Grover's thing with Wayne and I will see what my most disreputable operatives can do. Sounds good. So, all right. So what does she do? This turned into Vampire the Requiem, didn't it? (laughs) No, it didn't. I was thinking more like, you know, police procedural drama or something. Okay. Fair, fair. I mean, you did pick a detective. (laughs) I did. I am, I'm hoist on my own petard. In this particular case, you have to let it out of the box. <laughs> yeah. There was a box, but that's not, it's not going back in the, the box, box anymore. The box disintegrated. has disintegrated. So yeah, when you go back, what do you tell Wayne? Who is in a giant sulk, I'm sure. Well, I'm wondering if Wayne's messages are about to start blowing up. It's probably going to take a while for this to happen. 
I mean, you can't just jump up and pin evidence. It's got to take a while, I'm sure. So we could call this date and have that develop in the background. Well, how about Judge McCreary calls this, what is it, a stay? Is it a stay when there needs to be a, or they're going to adjourn the trial for that day prematurely and then they're going to come back and revisit things? Uh, well, maybe. I mean, probably the, the trial's not going on. This is probably just all filtered through to him through the DA's office where they're like, we can't even charge him anymore. Oh, how they're trying to make a deal and all that. Okay. All right. That's fine. So the governor's going to put pressure on the DA's office. No, don't take his deal. I'm sure more will be revealed. Mm-hmm. All right. So, so Elaine now wants to find out if he has like a favorite type of coffee or something like that because she's pretty sure she can figure out how to quote unquote make the evidence of Wayne's issues go away. Okay, so yeah, you, the two of you go get some coffee and you're not going to lay any of this out. You're just trying to get his mood up. Yes, I'm going to try to get his mood up and the only way I know how to do that is through caffeine. But also order okay. some delivery for caffeine tomorrow so that he gets coffee while at work and thinks of me fondly while the barista or whatever spills coffee all over the paper. <laughs> and that comes from the extra thousand dollars that I pay the barista through my sister. Okay. So the money never comes back to me. But but in my mind, this is all a big gift because the thing that's really making him depressed is this sex trafficker guy like grover is well he's kind of a tool but he's not he's not a bad guy he's not an ogre not an ogre i mean yeah he's kind of addicted and he needs rehab but he's not like this other one this is the best present i can think of to get him if we can get this sex trafficker guy in prison this will make him not depressed anymore and then we can get back to talking about romance it's very hard for me to talk about it's hard for a lot of people this is something i found all right so the way this could be good is that elaine is taking a more active role and caring about issues of justice and you know no he can't be allowed to get away with this this is just wrong yeah but the way it could be bad is oh i will just arrange things to my will and he doesn't have to know i know what's good for him is for me to step in and illegally plant this evidence and subvert the entire justice system in the name of a just outcome that just happens to spring grover who my privileged buddy and brother-in-law as a quid pro quo for putting away the real monster Yes. All of that. It's a All lesson of that? she has to learn, right? She has to learn okay. that money can't buy everything and that, you know, her, her sense of morality is skewed because the money that she has gives her power. All right. So let's see what the third, let's see what the issues are for the third and yeah, the final date before the boathouse. All right. So I got five again, which turns into six, which happened again. So that rolls over to one. You can't get the same result twice. Okay, I also got a one. Okay, so this date is about why you don't cheat and his terrible taste in music. So this seems a little more lighthearted. Uh, one, of the way the, one of the ways the game works is that the lower the number is, the more it tends to be an upbeat, happy 
good uh, uh, aspect. And the bigger it is, the more it tends to be a little more heavy and downbeat. Oh, okay. Well, that would explain this game. <laughs> yeah, because we've been rolling fours and fives and sixes. Yeah. But at the end of the game, the person who's had to answer the heavy, who's had the their heaviest issues come into play, determines whether the couple stays together or not. Oh. So random dice determine whether it's good or bad, but the person who got the the highest rolls determines whether they stay in the good or bad situation. Wow. So yeah, I've had, uh, you know, so it can turn out that, oh no, everything's great, but you still bail. It's it's just easier to stay in your bad situation. Yeah. For some people, that is true. It's like life. Mm Mm-hmm. Couldn't make it too simple. All right. So it sounds like this could be the date where he finds out that she used this algorithm to find him, since that's your question one. How about he does the opposite? He starts getting curious because he can tell she has a lot of money. Uh-huh. So he actually runs background check on her. Okay. That's when he finds out about all the Rockstar stuff. and Okay. But he still has no idea that she is tinkering around with the justice system behind his back. Correct. He just ran a background check. All right. So what bad stuff turns up in the background check? Let's say... I mean, there doesn't have to be any bad stuff. It could just be that he realizes that the first time they met, she took him somewhere where she could immediately play music that she'd made to see if he'd recognized it. And he kind of uh, teases her about this, and she does not take it well. No! Oh, she would not take it well because of the fact that she didn't do the cheat code option. And she is very surprised by his terrible taste in music. Yeah, she's probably been hoping that, oh... It was just a one-time thing. Nope. Okay, well, maybe if he has an opportunity to to make some better decisions, nope. He's just going, boy, it's like that old saying about how a dog returns to its vomit. (laughs) Wow. So let's go with some things that privileged people would get away with. Um, And Uh this is something that I actually witnessed. Uh Uh-oh. I had to go in front of a traffic judge a long time ago. I want to say 15 years ago or something like that. And... Um, uh-huh. And, I, you know, basically you are to negotiate your ticket down by, you know, saying what happens. And then it goes from whatever it was at the time, like $250 and you get like an extra hundred bucks off. But and you negotiate for lower points if you have a good driving record. Okay. So I did that and I was able to get it, you know, down a little bit. But there was a young lady that came in with, with mommy and daddy who had a lot of money and everything got complete and she was there for a DUI and everything just got completely washed away. Like it never even happened. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I said. So when I think of privilege, that's what I think. Dang. Somebody who, whose parents have so much money, they just walk in and you know, the judge, instead of like giving them a slap on the wrist or whatever, just forgets it even happened all completely. That's crazy. Yeah. That's really, that's really unsettling. She's probably killed someone by now. <laughs> Well, I mean, there's there's consequences to, you know, always letting somebody off the hook if they do something wrong. That's for sure. I, I wasn't sure I was going to take it to the murder place, but, you know, this, this is the way the game is going. <laughs> I think probably manslaughter. Um, right. But no, it's no, I, I was not suggesting that Elaine is a 
manslaughterer because that would have come up in character generation. But yes. so she's gotten some minor stuff. Yeah, and but he can see that when he runs the background check, how there's certain judges that uh-huh. have you know just kind of looked the other way and things that other people would not get off. Okay, so mostly he makes fun of her for the band, and that really needles her. But when she pushes back on that, he can't let it go because he's like, that is the least of what I've learned. And he maybe doesn't even tell her that he did a background check because, boy, why why would you volunteer that information? Well, and this is where it could get really interesting. So he could say that he didn't do the background check. And then that's when she admits, you know, how this whole thing came about. She said that she didn't feel comfortable doing any sort of background checks or whatever. And he actually like flinches at that because he did. All right. So how, wait, so how does this play out? Let's map this. You know, they go out for a date, they have a nice dinner, but he pulls out an old cassette single of the song that he thought was by Susie Sue and asks her to sign it and kind of cracks up when she adds it together. And okay, so how, so he thinks it'll be funny and it's not funny to her. How does it go wrong from there? After he tries playing the song, she gets very quiet. He says, how did you find out? It wasn't that hard. You're the governor's sister. You can't keep secrets from anybody anymore. I'm a detective, remember? Just assume I know everything about you. Did you look me up? Well, I mean, I may have poked your name into Google. Uh, are you serious? How hard did you try to, to obscure this? A lot of people would think it was really cool that they'd been in a rock band. They wouldn't try to hide it. Now you're going to victim blame that was the reason why you found me? Because I didn't hide myself well enough? I'm saying there's nothing to hide. I mean, it's it, the, the music isn't my favorite thing in the whole world, but it's it's nothing wrong. I mean... <laughs> Would you consider the stuff I see every day? A disagreement in music tastes suddenly seems really, really unimportant. I mean, why should we even care what the other one likes to listen to? I know you deal with crime every day where you're seeing people get actually hurt with bruises and blood and gunshots and all of that. But sometimes people get hurt in a way that you cannot. Uh, hey, I'm, I see that too. I see all kinds of, of emotional trauma well, and everything. See but it I here. Well, no, I didn't because nothing that bad happened to you. You had a music career, according to your background search. Are you denying that? Wait, wait, Your Honor. You're relying on the facts instead of talking to me about what happened or asking me why I was upset. Well, it's like 10 million people want to be in rock bands and you actually got to and you're boo-hoo-hooing about it. And I bet 10 million people want to be detectives and you're a detective and you're boo-hoo-hooing about it. Not enough people want to be detectives. Not enough people give a shit about the little victims. It is hard to get people to become cops. And it's harder still to get the right people. Well, I didn't want to become a cop. The only thing I ever wanted to do was be a musician. And that dream ended. It actually died. So for you, maybe this isn't a big deal. But for me, it was a pretty big deal. Oh, I didn't. I guess I didn't think about it that way. And he like 
reaches out and pulls the cassette back and sort of looks away and rubs his mustache a little. You got to believe me that I didn't think it would upset you. I thought, I don't know what I thought. I expected you'd say, oh, ha, you found me. And you'd be a little embarrassed and we'd laugh and we'd have a laugh. I thought we'd have a laugh. Well, some things maybe I wanted to tell you in my own time. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm real sorry this wasn't funny. I, uh, I apologize for that. I'm, it's my bad. It was my error, my wrong. We cool? Yep, we're cool. Does she mean it? Or is she like leaning back and looking off to the side as she says, yeah, we're cool. No, she, she's saying we're cool, and then she's like, I'm going to change his taste in music. She's got that little bit of spite to her, like with the Grover situation. Uh-huh. A little bit of spite. <laughs> She's got too much time on her hands. That's all she knows how to do. That's <laughs> somebody else designing clothes for her label. She's a fashion designer because she puts her label on the clothes, but that's about it. Someone has to say yes or no. That's right. That's what she likes to do. All right. So they talk that over and it's, they both say it's resolved, but neither one of them really backs down. And he admits that, okay, yeah, I don't know the whole story, but he's privately thinking, I'm not sure you have the right to be as upset as you're being. And she's like, okay, yeah, no, I don't mind that you dug out this thing I clearly didn't want you to dig and threw it at me in the most graceless fashion. That's fine. I'm not mad, but you're really mad. Yep. Okay. So what we've got now, those are the three dates, and we have the unresolved stuff of her court tampering floating in the background. So we now enter end game. All Ooh. right? End game. The scene at the boathouse. It doesn't have to be a boathouse. It's always a boathouse. If I've learned anything from our culture, it's that boathouses are associated with high-end romance and dark secrets. Why don't we change it to a small airport? Okay. The airstrip. The airstrip. With, like, the little two-seater plane. Okay. And so we both take a moment. We talk about what's happened, how characters have perceived it, how things could go really well, and how it could end tragically bad. So what is good about this is that clearly Elaine is very different from most of the people Wayne knows in that she is not mired in a world of crime and high consequences. And she has a lot of agency and confidence and power, all of which I'm sure are intensely attractive to him. And the way it could be bad is that she can be maybe a little controlling and a little naive about the outcome of meddling with huge nuanced systems in a clumsy way without nuance. Fair? Yeah. All right, so what do you think? Elaine thinks what's good is that Wayne would keep her grounded mm -hmm. because she's realizing that most people don't have the same problems that she does and she misses being a regular person and Wayne makes her feel like a regular person. Oh, that's nice. Like she doesn't put on airs around him or put on some sort of fancy dress. She can just like lounge around in flannel pants in a bathrobe. These leggings are both pajamas and <laughs> regular pants, okay? They're, they're fleggings. <laughs> <laughs> 
watch something will come up like that like in the fall or something all of a sudden it'll be flaggings but she also likes the fact that you know he's got a sense of honor to him like that's not something that she can buy so you're kind of hoping that they that it turns out healthy well so then there's the bad stuff yeah okay he feels that he kind of dismisses her experiences like she knows her experiences are very different but in a way that you know, he kind of dismisses her experiences as being frivolous or doesn't Trifling. matter as much. Trifling. There you go. It's a word I've contemplated in, uh, in a relation to my own life. Uh, oh, boy. But that's probably more than we should get into here. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, she recognizes that things like drug deals and murders and all those other things are really awful and bad. The things that happened to her weren't great either. And sh- she doesn't know where the line is. Because he talks about this box. Uh-huh. And it's very clear he doesn't have a good handle on the box. <laughs> <laughs> the box is, is held together with duct tape, but the glue <laughs> is drying out. Is she supposed to help him keep this stuff inside the box? Like, you know, it, it... The unhealthy outcome for this could be that she explains to him, listen, all you have to do to get your scumbag thrown in a dank dark cell is help grover out and you liked grover you know you didn't think grover was a menace you both like the same shitty bands uh excuse me we both like the same awesome bands so i can totally see her saying look i've listened to you complain over and over again <laughs> about how these assholes keep getting away with stuff Right? You and your skells. Yes, you and your skells. And she's secretly like, yeah, that would make a really good band name. <laughs> skells. Josie and the Skells. Josie and the Skells. But here's the thing. When it comes to, you know, money and privilege, it's very clear that you understand there's some sort of positive effect to having money. And so let's just use mine. Who's going to care? All right. Okay, so we've seen how this could go well, and we've seen how it could go bad. And so now we each roll a die and see what they total up to. I got a three. I also got a three. (laughs) The total is even. The relationship is good, pure, and always was. The scene at the boathouse is where the millionaire realizes their vulnerabilities and flaws and understands how this other person makes them want to be better. So we got the good ending. We just have to decide whether they can accept it and whether they stay together. So what happens? Why are they at this airstrip? So Wayne has made her realize that being a public servant really is a thankless job, no matter how much money you get. So she decides to run her against her sister for governor in the next... (laughs) All right. And she's going to tell him about this on a plane as they trail a banner saying, vote, uh, vote Walt, vote Walsley instead of her bitch ass sister or something. Vote integrity, vote Walsley. She's going to claim that she has a lot of integrity. Man, can you imagine the the media frenzy if a beleaguered governor gets primaried by her own sister? Yes! <laughs> Perfect drama. <laughs> the catfight election, if that's what they'd... That's a terrible phrase, isn't it? I feel 
it felt dirty in my mouth as soon as I said it. Well, the thing is, you know, Elaine trying to be a better person is bad at it. She's not good at it. She's really bad at trying to be a better person. So she decided that... um you know, her sister wasn't a great governor, but she would be a better governor. So why not? Does Wayne talk her back from the edge no, and explain to her? It's Grover who does that. Oh, okay. At the sake of their marriage, Susan would divorce him. If she wasn't governor? Yes. Oh, okay. So so wait, Grover's at this uh, at the airstrip with the, the two of them? No, he calls her on the phone. Oh, because I was going to say, uh, does she tell Wayne that he has to perjure himself on Grover's behalf? Uh, she's hoping the barista actually destroyed those evidence files and he never has to know. Oh, okay. He doesn't want to tell him. All right. feels that that would be something that he could not leave in the box. Because uh... now... Their entire relationship has become a metaphor for this freaking box. All right. So she's like, there wow. are just some things that need to stay in the box, and there are some things that don't need to stay in the box. This happens to be one thing that needs to stay in the box at all times. Okay, so does she realize that it was wrong of her to do all this stuff? No. Wow. Okay, so the the best outcome for her, the outcome that is full of positive growth and... Brings out the best part of herself is her realizing, oh, I can tamper with the justice system with impunity. Just trying to get this straight here. Oh, it's it's such a tragic romance. So the best outcome for personal growth would be for her to realize that money and privilege can't buy everything. Okay. Okay. She knows in the back of her mind that, you know, it can't buy love, obviously. Like, she's not mm-hmm. trying to buy a love potion or anything like that. But technically, she kind of did use money to buy love because that's she spent money on this AI. Well, to find the potential. To though. find the potential. Right. So. So. I mean, maybe what happens. Okay. Here, let me float a, a suggestion. Tell me what you think of this. Okay. The whole perjury thing falls apart and that, you know, Grover is still going to wind up being tried and he's, you know, he may or may not get convicted, but uh, the attempt to frame the actual guilty guy turned into, uh, you know, the, the person she hired to plant evidence, bungled it. So it's a second giant scandal kicking up all kinds of dust. And uh, Elaine thinks that Wayne is no longer going to want to be with her when, uh, you know, she can't fix everything. But what they find out is that, no, you know, she doesn't have to be powerful for him to want her and he does she doesn't have to fix everything uh and it's not her responsibility to make his life perfect or to make the world better by putting her thumb on the scales of justice mm. all right so what how how does that all come out though i think they should be at the airstrip because he, he wants to surprise him and he mentioned there's a place that he always wanted to go but never could go and have the money to go 
All right. Where would he have wanted to go? I want to say Niagara Falls, but man, it is not hard to get to Niagara Falls unless they're on like the West Coast or something. And this whole thing has been, we've not been real specific about where they're located. We'll call it Happy Valley. Happy Valley sounds perfect. Like, you know what? We could do it in Napa Valley, California wine. Okay. Because that would explain a lot. Yeah, because everything about this character suggests that he has a refined palate when it comes to wine well, pairings. But that's why he's so ironic. Okay. Is that he, he shuns all of that nonsense. He just he's just a regular guy, and that's partially what that's partially what Elaine is attracted to, is that here's somebody that doesn't, you know, have a fake tan and so probably where he wants to go is to like Alaska and see the mountains. Oh yeah, like some rough and tumble, rugged, some rugged ass climbing. camping shit. Yeah, like so no like hair dryer, none of that uh-huh. nonsense. Okay, so very much the anti Elaine experience. Yes, very much so. Okay. However, she did arrange a private flight for them to be dropped in a remote location of the wilderness with all of their gear. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where they're headed. So she's like just took off the tags, like she's in Timberlake, REI, you know, all <laughs> There is no indication that either of these people knows how to even build a fire. They could die out there, but okay. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she's just gonna wing it. Because if she needed to, she's got a sat phone. She can just Okay. Yeah, All somebody that could be how it turns out to be actually great is that they really are just sort of out there exposed to the raw uncaringness of nature and they sort of rely on each other. And at some point they crack and they're like, use the sat phone, use the sat phone. I love it. <laughs> They come back all shaking and traumatized. They're like, let's never talk about this again. Agreed. And I will never, ever again, ever, ever wonder why people like tofu so much. (laughs) I understand. So yeah, I'm going to say they stick together. Maybe he never finds out about her attempts to, to tamper with those two trials. Does she get her wish with those or not? With the trials? There's a nice mirroring effect between the genuinely despicable unnamed trafficker who gets off on a technicality and the weak but definitely guilty guy that all of society is set up to protect. And do you want to, you know, what's the real just outcome there? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I suppose they could both get off. Well, I was thinking that Grover would have to do mandatory community service and rehab. Mm-hmm. But the community service is excessive. Like, it's not just 100 hours. It's more like 500 hours of community service. One more. 1,000 1, hours of community service. And that was something that Elaine had actually suggested go up. Like, you know, she's kind of present for the sentencing and she's like, oh, that's not enough. Like, she maybe she gets called in and testify because she's the sister and she was there. Uh-huh. She's like, he really needs to not be out of control like this. Yes. So they do rehab because it's clear he has a problem. It's it's health mm-hmm. related. But then he has to do like a thousand hours of community. He has to wear like this ridiculous like little like uniform. A parking meter uniform even though he's not uh-huh. a parking meter attendant 
It's like, um... Oh, God, it's so ill-fitting, Elaine, yes. the fashion designer <laughs> says, flinging a hand over her eyes. And his hair will never go with that shade of yellow. But she's hoping that will also break him of his wham addiction. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, the bad guy just gets off, and Wayne glares at him throughout the whole trial, but Elaine's there to hold his hand, and, you know, he just says something about, yeah, well, the bad's always there, but the good's always there, too. And then she secretly throws, like, $100,000 at, like, a women's shelter. That. Yeah. Like, that's something very legal. Like, she's, she's constantly, like, trying to, like... You know, something happens. Just flailing around. It's just flailing right. around, like, um, well, not necessarily flailing around, but it's more like a response, I guess, to him and his being upset. She can't fix it. So the only way she knows how to solve problems is just to throw money at it. That's what she does. Okay. All right. And so that, and that's the end. I think they stay together. Yeah, I think, I think I so really too. do. I can see it. I can see the, like, if this was a movie, the terrible TV spinoff would be they retool it as a weekly episode where it's like the Thin Man, where basically there it is. It's a reboot of the. It turns into a reboot of the Thin Man. Oh wow! Yeah, I could see that. So yeah, all that was really missing from her life was a little dog, and <laughs> well, and, and a potential growth opportunity for season two would definitely be you can't just throw money at something to fix it. Can't just throw money at it. Some things you can, but not everything. All right. And that was Million Dollar Soulmate. If we were face to face, this is the point at which we would shake hands. Okay. But I actually have not played a lot of this face to face. It's all been uh, over Discord. But okay. Did you have a good time? Absolutely. I had fun. Yeah. Same. I really enjoyed the story of Wayne and Elaine. Uh, do they get in the tabloids as E. Wayne? No, they get in the tabloids as we. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been Greg Stolte. And Monica Valencinelli. The art for this episode of Million Dollar Soulmate was produced by Christian Newman, made available via the Unsplash website. The music is Ravel's Sonatine 2 Mouvement Minuet via the Muse Open website. Million Dollar Soulmate the game is available on itch.io and through Drive-Thru RPG. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. <laughs>